Welcome to the CNI Conversations for uh, February 6, 2012. Um, today we are doing the first of what I hope will be a uh, regular variation on CNI Conversations where we are joined by someone from our community to talk through an interesting and exciting new development. And with me today, I have David Lewis. Uh, David is the uh, Dean of Libraries at uh, IUPUI, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. Um, among other things, and he'll tell us about a few of those other things shortly. Um, Dave uh, has been an active member of the CNI community for a long time and someone that um, I have uh, found uh, very helpful um, uh, in his, his writings. He's got a particular gift for um, doing these sort of uh, systemic analyses of libraries and of components of the scholarly communications chain that I think are uh, very insightful and have certainly um, uh, achieved uh, wide circulation in the uh, library and broader higher education community. So I'm delighted he was willing to uh, be with us today to uh, talk with us about some of the new developments that he's been leading in the um, electronic textbook area. Uh, David, welcome. Um, thank you for joining us. And maybe you could just start by saying a little bit about your various uh, roles at IUPUI and beyond. Um, well, I am. Uh, my day job is as the Dean of Libraries at IUPUI. Um, I have a, a secondary responsibility that I got um, from Brad Wheeler, who's the Vice President of Indiana University um, for Technology. And, for, and uh, about three years ago, he asked me to um, join his his staff to work on scholarly communications issues as part of a it followed on a, a strategic plan that the university had done uh, for technology and it, um, he, he said I get to uh, help IU recapture the scholarly record um, but I don't have any staff or budget to do that so it's uh, mostly around working on policy issues and trying to nudge as much as I can and a piece of that has been to deal with uh, the textbook problem. Um, and that's what we've been spending probably the majority of our time and effort on over the last uh, year, year and a half. Yeah, um, and certainly, you know, I've, I've followed some of that work with, um, with great interest, the, um, the big digital machine slogan that uh, I, I guess Brad came out with when uh, some of that work first got underway. Um, uh, seems like the opportunities there are enormous, but also have been surprisingly elusive for institutions to grasp up till now. Um, what, why don't you uh, give a fast summary of the, um, the specific initiative that um, you announced, what, 10 days or so ago now? Well, there are two pieces. One is, is what IU has been working on for um, for some time, and then there is an initiative that um, that um, is sort of a spin-off of what we've done that Internet2 um, fronted for us and a number of institutions. So let me talk about the IU experience. Um, 
first, and then I'll, I'll move to the to the Internet 2 uh, piece that was raised right. in January. And fundamentally what we did is when we look at the textbook market, it became very clear to us that it's um, dysfunctional um, for almost all of the players across the board, from the students to the faculty to the authors to the publishers. It, it really fundamentally doesn't work for anyone. Um, and our notion is that we really need a fundamentally different economic model and that the technology actually offers the possibility of a different model. So it's, the technology is necessary, but it's not sufficient. Um, so the, the nice thing that you can do with the digital technology is that the distribution becomes easier. Um, the secondary markets are more manageable from the publisher's perspective. That's really important. And so what we um, it became clear to us that if the university is not engaged in the market, it's really going to be impossible for the students to do anything about it except complain um, and steal. Um, and so what we've done is said that students will pay a course fee, everybody pays it, um, and we would then take that money and contract with publishers um, to provide that content to students in that class. Um, it's not unlike deals that Indiana University has for um, software in various forms. We've got to deal with Microsoft. We've got to deal with Adobe. Um, students pay a technology fee that covers that, and, and everybody gets access. So we're really looking at moving from a retail model to a wholesale model um, where the university is engaged. Our analysis of this says that the publishers will do better. Um, particularly as um, it becomes easier for students to um, find content illegally and um, all over the, the Internet you can get almost any textbook. So the publishers are better off redoing the economic model much in the same way that the economic model was redone um, in music and inevitably in TV and other places. Um, and, and so what we've been working on for probably two and a half years is we've worked with a small company in Indiana, Indiana that has, give, has built the software that allows you to read the, the textbook. Um, and it does all of the things that you would expect. It's in some ways not particularly special, um, but it's important to us that it's not a, an entity that's um, managed by the publishers. We think it's important to have um, a company who's on our side uh, of the deal. It's sort of like the real estate agent um, you know, wants to be right. working for you. So we've really changed the model around. Um, and we've done a bunch of experiments, and we went to scale this spring. Um, with about, um, well, we've done deals with five publishers, um, and um, McGraw-Hill is the biggest, Wiley, um, Norton, um, Flat World Knowledge, and um, another one I can't recall right now, but uh, a smaller company. And mm -hmm. McGraw is really the key player, and we've got 130 courses and well over 5,000 students engaged for the spring. So that's, that's quite a sizable deployment then. Yeah. I, one of the things that's hard about textbooks is that it's really hard to get out in front of it. The, by federal law, you're supposed to tell students when they register for a course what their textbook burden is going to be. Um, and so fall has to be set by March. And so it's really hard. You know, we're always, it always seems like we're a year behind where we think we ought to be. But it's just the way the, system, the 
requirements of informing students uh, just really make it hard to implement in a hurry. Mm. I hadn't realized that that that, that time delay would um, would would really uh, play that much of a role there. That's important. Yeah, I mean, and so in some ways that plays with the the um, deal that got announced um, in January. Um, we believe it's really important to get this model. Um, have a lot of universities begin to get some sense of it so that we can actually impact the textbook model nationally rather than have the publishers find it a different, less advantageous model and have it become the standard. So in the fall, um, as I understand it, a CIC meeting, there was conversation about what might be done to extend what IU is doing to other institutions. Um, and so, um, the internet, I mean, internet 2 um, was used because it was a, an organization that was prepared to, to be helpful in this arena, and lots of people have standing arrangements with them. So that by um, quickly making arrangements with McGraw-Hill and with CourseLoad, which is the small Indiana company, um, we were able to put together what in essence was a um, pilot project um, in a box. And um, the, the universities could, even in December, say, we're going to pay a, a flat amount of money. We'll get access to a certain amount of content. We can put it in a bunch of courses in the spring. We're not going to charge the students. But, um, and, and that way it could be done very quickly. Um, and so this allows five other institutions to have the experience that we've collected over the last couple of years. Um, because you're, you, you need to socialize students both to the change in the technology, um, which we actually have found is not that much of a problem, um, but they also need to be socialized to the notion that if, they're, if everybody pays, it's still a good deal for nearly everybody. Mm -hmm. um, the prices are um, in general better than what even the most um, diligent students behaving honestly could get. So even, even if you bought and resold and, and caught that market exactly right, um, the e-text is at our prices is, is probably a better deal. So this allows a bunch of universities to, to get into it very quickly. And, and as I said earlier, otherwise the best case would be they would have been able to do something in the fall. I see. That's, that's, that's a really important nuance that I have to say I completely missed in the, um, in the press coverage um, about uh, the speed with which they can uh, get into this. Um, very interesting. Um, let, me, let me ask you a few of the sort of um, uh, detailed questions that always seem to come up here. Um, uh, I understand that um, it's possible to, um, uh, if, if a student wants a print copy, essentially run a print-on-demand copy um, uh, for an additional, uh, an additional charge if they want to do that. Yeah, the contracts we have with all of our publishers provide um, for both reasonably open printing in terms of if you want to do it on your own machine, you can do that well, but if you want a print-on-demand copy, it's basically at the print-on-demand cost. So it's you know, $20, $25 depending on the length of the book. So it's, it's 
there's the, the intellectual property costs are already incorporated into our contract, so the, the cost of the print-on-demand book would be just the cost of the printing. Right, and um, that's great with the publishers because they don't have any inventory management issue that way. Right. Um, now that, that to some extent speaks to the question of students who actually, actually want to keep their books past the end of the course. You know, um, I mean, the way a lot of this is often portrayed, it's like um, uh, students sell off all their textbooks at the end of uh, every semester, but actually within, within one's major area or even um, you know, a complex of, of related subject matter, um, uh, if, particularly if one's going into uh, one of the sciences or engineering, um, you tend to keep a lot of these, want to keep a lot of these books around as kind of reference materials uh, going forward, not just through your academic career, but into your professional life. Um, what are the provisions for continued electronic access, um, if any, past the uh, end of the course? Well, this is an area where the IU deal um, differs from the standard publisher's deal for students for e-text. So if you're dealing with a publisher through their standard offerings, it's in essence a, a, a rental which at most is 180 days. Mm -hmm. The IU deal, our, our contracts with the publisher say that a student is entitled to access for as long as they are a student at Indiana University. Um, and we manage that through the course management system. Um, and essentially they can do that as a meaningful deal because they're riding on all of your identity management infrastructure. That's right. Um, and, and since this, every student in every course pays as long as the material is locked inside of IU somehow, um, they're in reasonably good shape. But, and, and, and quite frankly, if their problems with pirated material are not going to be because of us. Those problems already exist. So, it, but it was very important for us to be able to tell students, you get it for as long as you're a student, which is in many ways a better arrangement than they currently have. Oh, it's, I, I, it's certainly a much better arrangement, I would think. And, um, you know, this really begins to feel more like a, um, like a site license, you know, that you're negotiating on behalf of the students that's, um, you know, where the, the cost of it is kind of closely approximated to the size of the user base. Um, yeah, you know, if, if we could make a site license arrangement with, you know, one of the big publishers for everything they offered and just paid the as we do with Microsoft or Adobe, I think we would be interested in doing that. I think um, the publishers are, are, I think, understandably apprehensive about doing something too crazy too soon. Mm -hmm. So um, we've been really pleased that the publishers who um, have signed with us have been prepared to take, which is, is a non-trivial risk in terms of rethinking their business model. Um, but, but I think going down the line, one could easily imagine a, a site license kind of an arrangement. Um, and you know, so part of what the students would pay for as part of their tuition would be access to all of the textbooks that they need regardless of where they are in, in their, uh, you know, whatever they're taking. So I, I guess this also leads to kind of an interesting um, uh, question, assuming that this all sort of scales up, um, uh, about how much um, differential pricing you do for 
um, textbooks from course to course and major to major. Um, whether you know you really want to um, reflect 100% of the um, uh, of of the uh, the costs for each each specific course, or whether you want to do some smoothing between the really expensive and the not so expensive courses. Yeah, I mean that's that's an interesting sort of. We're not anywhere near that question yet, but um, I mean clearly the first step. Um, to give the publishers a sense of comfort is to is to keep it at the um, um, you know as a percentage of the yeah. list of the book um, and you know you'd have to get a fairly serious site license which we're not anywhere near yet to to do the smoothing would be my guess yeah. but this is still such an important um, initial step I think um, and and one that it really to me sounds like is going to um, is going to capture more of the promised savings um, uh, for the students than um, some of the other, uh, you know, approaches that have been talked about, where um, you're still doing transactional sales to students of the e-books. Yeah, I mean that's our fundamental um, contention around the economic model that you really need to move from a retail market to a wholesale market. And, and that's the, the fundamental economic change you need to make. Um, well, let me ask one more kind of specific um, uh, question about the, the current effort before stepping back a little. Um, uh, one of the issues that always seems to come up now around, um, uh, around electronic textbook efforts is um, the appropriate accommodation of students with, um, with disabilities. Yeah, and, and we have um, worked very hard um, with the, the small company um, and our people who do um, accessibility issues at the university. Um, I think uh, this is an issue that you clearly have to pay a lot of attention to. Um, you know, a number of universities have had some some issues that are uh, have been difficult for them, and and. Um, we've tried to, to do everything we can to make sure that um, we work to make sure that the accessibility issues are, are uh, the, the best they can possibly be. And, and you know, ultimately the digital text has the potential to be a, a more effective arrangement um, if you do it right. Yeah. Um, and, and we've done everything we can to try to do it right. Plus, you have the um, the printed uh, option as as an additional backstop. Right. So uh, you know the worst case is you're where you started from. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, let me let me uh, go off in a slightly different direction. Um, my understanding of of the efforts you've described is they're still working very much with the. Um, the, the kind of um, existing uh, um, textbook publisher system as a point of departure. Um, one, of course, hears a great deal of discussion these days about open educational resources and um, the development of various kinds of open textbooks and things like that. Um, uh, how do you see that all fitting into the landscape here? Um, I presume you could take an appropriately designed um, uh, textbook from any source and put it on the platform. 
Yeah, the platform will handle um, yeah, pretty much anything. So um, I think the, the open textbook um, arrangement in, in the way I've looked at this is different from open access journal publishing in, in, one, in, in one fundamental way, which is that in a journal arrangement, the effort to create a document that's um, good enough to be put into the system, it, most of us can do that. Um, scholars and scientists can, can put together an article, with, and it's just what they do. But a textbook is, and, and other kinds of educational resource materials, is really a different animal that requires um, editorial work and design work and graphic support. Um, and then you start to talk about, well, if you get into movies and modeling, um, that really puts it in a different environment that requires non-trivial amounts of money beyond the effort of the people writing the book. And even the people writing the book want something for it um, because they don't get paid back in the same kinds of ways that they do if they publish an article in a well, highly rep, uh, referenced journal. Um, so you, I think you need to, to get good educational resources um, at, across the board in all the subjects you need them in. Um, you have to put serious money on the table. Um, if I was king, one of the things I would do is I would say to all of the big universities in America, you know, put 300000 or $500,000 a year into the pot, and then we'll hire people to write all the textbooks that we all need. Um, but that's a coordination, and, and if you did that, everybody would be way ahead. Um, but that kind of coordination effort is really hard to imagine in America. So I think that, that you know, it's different than open access publishing in the scholarly arena, um, and you need to put real money on the table one way or the other. Um, probably you know, a couple hundred thousand a textbook is not an unreasonable number to create a good calculus text um, or Psych 101 text. You, know, you need real money. You can't do it on the cheap. And a lot of the projects, they, they expect the contribution to yeah. be on the cheap. And, and certainly, you know, I, I've seen a couple of initiatives to try and fund um, uh, the creation of what will be open textbooks in specific areas and covering specific curricula. Um, uh, and I guess um, if those are adequately funded and produce useful things, it's in no way inconsistent with uh, any of what you're doing here. It's just another adoption choice for faculty members. Yeah. I mean, there, there is some serious federal money that's targeted at community college yeah. level stuff. Um, sort of upper high school and community college. Right. I mean, and, and the feds are putting $2 billion over the next three and a half years into that kind of project. So it's, it's serious money. So I think we'll see some things that will matter for entry-level courses in some universities. But um, the other thing with the, going with the established publishers are you don't have to get faculty to, to think that hard to make the choice. So if you're teaching with a textbook that's published by somebody we've got a contract with, you can very easily say, I know the book. I don't have to change my lectures. You know, I, it's an easy choice for faculty to make. And make, asking faculty to rethink their textbooks is, is hard to do because they have busy lives and this is not a priority for them. So it's easier to start the way we've started. Interesting. That's really fascinating. Um, 
I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be watching this with with great interest. Um, I guess we'll probably be in a position to start understanding um, how well this is going by the end of the spring term. We'll certainly have some some significant data about student acceptance and. Um, by the uh, shortly after the end of the spring semester, I, I will do some analysis of of it, and we'll we'll know by the mid semester what the the fall uptake looks like. So if we see, a, you know, that we've got 500 courses in the fall and 2,000 enrollments or 20,000 enrollments, then that'll be a different. That'll tell us something important too. Well, I hope we can um, check back in on this um, uh, at the appropriate time and. Um, uh, hear how well it's succeeding. Um, let me just ask you one other thing before we um, we wind this down, and this is more of a sort of a process thing. Um, I know that um, getting progress on textbooks, even at a single institution, seems to be very hard unless um, you have you know some really strong advocates and leaders like you and Brad uh, to really move the conversation along. Um, it, it involves cutting across silos and institutions and very entrenched practices. Um, you've actually pulled off something that really you know, runs a sizably scaled pilot here at not just one institution, but half a dozen of them. And um, even in light of this extra complication that I hadn't understood till we uh, talked about the um, federal requirement to make the textbook costs visible, um, that's really, uh, you know, it seems to me like record speed for moving something like this along. Um, is, is there hope that we're actually getting better at doing these collaborative things in higher ed, or um, you know, have, did you just happen to hit the sweet spot and have a miracle occur, or what? Are there lessons we can draw here for uh, how other um, multi-institutional um, innovation um, might move along faster? I think that the I mean, clearly one of the pieces is that everybody is hearing from all of their students that textbooks are an issue. So th this is an issue that lots of people care about and would want to do something about, um, which is not always the case with it, – it, it has more urgency in some ways than, than a lot of other things. Um, I think that in, in some ways we, we hit a sweet spot with the multi-institution piece. Um, because the Internet 2 organization was prepared to take this on um, at least in a trial mode, and because everyone already had the agreements with Internet, that would, you know, the institutions had agreements with Internet 2, so we didn't have to contract there. They could just write them a, an invoice. And Internet 2 did the deals with the um, publisher and with McGraw-Hill and with CourseLoad. And so, they were institutionally positioned to do some things that if it was a collaboration of institutions, you know, if the CIC wanted to do it, it might be much harder. And if it was five random institutions who just cared about the problem, um, it would have been harder still. 
So I think that in some ways the, the fact that the people working on the deal were able to make the Internet 2 connection and they were prepared to take a chance on uh, being engaged with this made it possible in a way that many of our collaborative or, uh, efforts don't have an institutional structure that um, allows that kind of quick movement. That's very interesting. Um, and, and it was people who wanted to come along came along. So mm -hmm. if you had a, a larger organization, yep. the question always is, well, if we're all not going to do it, is that okay? Yeah. And, and then you've got a six-month conversation. Um, and, and so it slows you down. Very interesting. Well, those are, those are, I think, some insights that will serve us in good stead as we try and move a few other things forward over the next year or two. I hope so. David, thanks a million for um, prying loose some time to uh, talk about this. Um, I've certainly learned a great deal from this conversation, and um, I'm sure that uh, the uh, community that follows CNI Conversations is going to find it very helpful as well. So um, again, my thanks to you for that. Okay. You're welcome. Take care. Right. Bye-bye.